and welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, listed in 2020 as number eight of 42 best podcasts for every sales professional. I am your host, Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert and author of Business Evolution, Creating Growth in a Rapidly Changing World. I created Scale Your Sales Framework to develop leading edge capabilities to secure, retain and grow key customer relationships for long-term value and partnership. Join me each week to learn from amazing B2B sales and business experts and influencers. Tune in for actionable insights and strategies. Are you ready to scale your sales? Hello and welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast. Now, my next guest is Gopala Krishna. He describes himself as a humble human being committed to elevating B2B buyer experience and enabling B2B sales success. He has over 20 plus years global experience with startups, scale-ups, mid-market vendors, which has helped him with learning by doing and failing and succeeding all of these strategies that he's, he's put together to be named one of the top 100 sales influencers to follow globally by Selzer. <laughs> uh, being an advisor, an investor, an entrepreneur, a speaker, an author, and a lifelong learner, Gopala Krishna is an authentic has an authentic perspective on life and on business. So welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, and you like to be called Chris. <laughs> thank you. Um, thank you, Janice. Uh, thank you for uh, having me here. I'm really, really excited to be talking to you. And uh, yes, um, you know, I'm all here. Well, let's start by um, really talking about what you uniquely do for your clients, because what I was particularly interested in is your link between customer experience and sales, which is something I really focus on at Scale Yourself. So I'd love to hear your perspective. See, essentially, uh, uh, pandemic or pre-pandemic, uh, as we all know, the buyer's journey has been evolving. And the pandemic has only accelerated the revolution of how buyers actually make purchase decisions, right? So it is super important that you as a seller is part of that buyer journey at a very, very early stage so that you can actually influence and uh, persuade the buyer with your narrative. So. It is as difficult for a buyer to make purchase decisions as it is for a seller to, to be able to sell. So therefore, as a seller, it is extremely important that you be the part of that buyer journey at a very, very early stage of uh, their journey. That's interesting because there's, there's, there are stats and they're not necessarily correct to say that um, buyers are not interested in um, working with sellers. And if they are, then it's at a very late stage because they're all online, they're doing their own research. 
So, you know, you come in when they're 70% already through the buying process. But what you're saying is there's a real advantage is to getting in and having that relationship and giving them the experience early on in their buying process. Would that be correct? Absolutely, right? Uh, so according to Gartner, it may be a revelation. 77% of buyers have rated their most recent purchase as either difficult or complex. Yeah, so it's buying is not easy. Yeah, so what happens is when you're part of the the buyer journey very early, you know, on the left side of uh, the sales cycle or the buyer journey, what you're doing is you are a co-passenger in the journey to your buyer, right? So with that, you could actually help them educate about the possible solutions. You could influence their, uh, you know, their buying decision with your narrative by deeply embedding yourself into their business environment. And then you have multiple opportunities to interact with your buyers, which is not true if you were, you know, getting in after the 70% of decisions already made. So you have a very little chance, right? So that's why you shift left to the buyer journey, not to the right, because you will be uh, too late in the game. Right, right. So tell me more about Winsight um, sales growth platform. How does that um, how does that affect what you've just been talking about? How does that get you in early? So we uh, we do the outreach at scale for our uh, for our customers who are going after their ideal customers and buyers. So we use data, we use intent data, right? We use the power of content, data analytics, AI to be able to execute these reach out at scale. So when you use the power of data and the intent data, you are essentially embedding yourself into B2B buyer journey at a very early stage because you know your ideal customers have more than baseline level of interest on a given topic of your interest as a seller. When you have that power of intent data, then you make your move to time your outreach, then you're part of that early stage of buyer journey. That is what our platform does as a sales growth platform to leverage data, intent data, data analytics, AI, and execution at scale. And guess what? We do that all in a done for you model. So customers need not have to execute. So if it's in a done for you model, how yeah. does that interact with the other platforms that the organization might have? So the what happens is most of the organizations do not have a true platform that can enable multiple aspects of, uh, let's say, account-based engagement at scale, right? because you have to subscribe to a data tool, you have to subscribe to an intent data tool, you have to subscribe to a sales sequencing tool, you have to subscribe to a content uh, a rendering tool, and then you have to integrate all of this, and then somebody got to be executing all of this. So this is not something that a scale-up or even a mid-market vendor or a seller could afford, right? So what they do, 
they do these in a piecemeal approach and obviously the results are also less than uh, you know expected so what we do is we orchestrate the entire sales outreach with all of these pieces of the puzzle coming together and then we do the execution so there's a less of uh, resource consumption from the customer so how did you how did this platform come about did you see that you, there was um uh, sales organizations had all of these uh, uh, fragmented systems and they needed something to pull it all together so that you could get the intent data and, and react to that. What, what was the impetus behind creating this, this platform? So as a deliberate strategy, I have uh, with 20 years of uh, experience, I've learned a thing or two. Uh, these scale-ups and the mid-market vendors do not necessarily have the wherewithal to get this all working together. You know, it, is, it could be a lack of resources in terms of people, in terms of skills, in terms of technology tools, right? And in terms of overall know-how to execute all these things together. Now, where we come in is we take that complete burden away from the customer and then create this sales growth platform by bringing all pieces together and then doing the execution for the customer. So it's a, it's a complete last mile uh, approach to the customer. So I found that there is a huge gap in the market because a lot of people want to sell their tools and then make uh, you know the subscription as, the, as a model. But we do not want to do that. We want to... Uh, not only give the tool, but also execute on the behalf of the customer. That's so how. So explain to me the done for you. So you've got the tool and what you mean done for you. So you do the execution. So what, what do you give back to the customer? What do they, you know, your, your vendors that will work with their customers, what do they get back? The outcome of what we do is the, qualified conversations and the conversions from the ideal customers and buyers of our customers, right? Yeah. So everything that we do translates into a ready-to-scale opportunities for our customers, yeah? And where we exit is when the selling actually begins by our customers. So the prospecting, the qualifying, the persuasion to get the positive response to your outreach, all of that is done by us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the so that that's the heavy lifting that we do for our customers. Right. I see. Excellent. All right. Well, let's switch it up a little bit and talk about the industry in in general. And what yeah. we both focus on is being very, you know, key accounts making sure that the accounts are very much customer centric and mm -hmm. evolving the sales process to make sure it's very much focused on on the customer mm -hmm. um and so i'm sure i you like i have come across so many organizations that are still um very much focused on the sales process rather than the buying process and mm -hmm. you know they're very targeted on hitting the numbers so what I'd like to understand from you is your view on whether 
the sales industry, B2B sales, has shifted enough to be buyer-centric. And what do you say to those organisations if they haven't shifted in order to move them further along? Um, look, you know, it's a buyer's world, yeah? Uh, buyers are in a driver's seat, right? Uh, that is not to say buying is any, any way uh, easier than selling. Right now, if you are only sales centric, all the best, uh, because most of the smart companies have realized you sell more by aligning yourself to a buyer than, you know, having a pure play sales approach. So the way I say is there is, there is uh, empathy, there is uh, uh, authority and there is a credibility. What do I mean by that? You align to your customer at a multiple levels, organization, strategic priorities, challenges, key initiatives, and including the individual role level. Yeah. And then you demonstrate your authority by showing the depth in a specific area of your expertise. Yeah. That can be only one or at best two. It can't be more than that. So you demonstrate the authority through the depth. And the credibility comes in by showcasing the evidence as to where you have done. Somebody who is comparable to your target buyer, right? Somebody who is a peer, competitor, right? So by having the empathy, authority, and credibility, you're actually selling better to your buyers rather than only sales-centric approach, yeah? So it's alignment at multiple levels, and it's a depth. And it's about evidence-based selling. I believe that is the way going forward. Interesting. Excellent. Okay, so what practical, because you've already just given us one, actually, but what practical strategy would you offer the listeners um, here to enable their buyers to buy? So you've given us that one. Have you um, got another practical strategy that you could offer? So... One thing I would say is uh, understand the, uh, the overall buyer and the buyer's organization holistically, right? Always think the end goal, begin with the end in mind. What do I mean by that? What is that you can enable your customer to achieve? That's an ultimate goal, yeah? Begin, the, begin with the end in the mind. Not many of us do that. When you have set a vision for the customer and then work backwards to let them know how you can help them realize to that vision. Yeah, it's extremely important that you set the vision for the customer, of course, based on the alignment with their you know, strategic priorities and then show them how you can help them achieve that vision by progressive approach. Yeah. So if you can do only that by setting the vision and then showing the end goal first and then working backwards, that is a very, very different conversation you're having with your customers as opposed to everybody else who just focused on a point solution, specific transactional approach as opposed to transformational approach. Yeah, and this is, you know, I talk about becoming a, a you're a business advisor. 
you know, your focus is on the, the whole business. And you've just mentioned holistically and, and rather than selling a product. And I think that salespeople miss out on lots of opportunities when they're focused on selling a product because they're not really actively listening. And there's a lot that our customers tell us that uh, if we think of co-creating, sitting around the table and looking at solving problems, which is what we're there to do. And the problem we're wanting to help them solve is how, as you say, the end in mind, how they're going to reach their goal. And this is how we can play a part to get you to where you, you want to be. But it's not selling a product. You may not even have the product but it's about having that conversation to, to co-create with the customer. And I think that's a different mindset. Do you, would you agree? Absolutely. That's the way forward. That is, because buyers are very, very sophisticated. They have more access to information. They have more access to insights. They have more access to intelligence in the market. They're much more savvy than you and I realize as sellers, right? So, do not underestimate the intellect and the homework of a buyer, right? So that is the reason why you being able to align to them and say, this is how specifically we can help you achieve your specific vision or a strategic objective. You cannot do everything, but you can pick one and then specifically go after that. That's enough for you to have a long-term uh, you know, alignment with your customers. Okay, that's interesting. So I'm really interested in you and your backgrounds. I know that you've worked globally with many organizations, whether it's from SaaS, software, um, you know, all over the world, and you work in many markets um, now. So I'd like your perspective on diversity and the way that that has evolved and um, what, what you feel needs to happen now. See, uh, I have a pet peeve. Uh, 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 Please share I, it. <laughs> if I may say that. So most of the organization, uh, diversity is confined to uh, demography. Yeah. So I believe diversity should truly be not only demography, but also it is to do with the psychography. What do I mean by that? You need to bring in people who have radically different perspective as opposed to you, right? By, you know, not only by cultural background, but also from the experience background. People who have been part of startups, people who have been part of a, a completely non-business industry, such as an NGO, people who have been part of academics, right? People who have been part of social service. When you bring in this diversity, then you can see that you are creating a much more vibrant and diversified workforce as opposed to homogeneity and uh, you know diversity by demography so that i have seen very very few companies ever go down that path except very very few so i believe this is this is about to change and it must change mm -hmm. That's really interesting. I, I was speaking to a VP of um, IBM and they would say, and it's really difficult. We are asking a lot from organizations. It's difficult for them to do because it's one thing, you know, you think of cultural diversity or gender diversity and physical diversity and um, 
But then when you're thinking of experiential diversity, then, you know, it's very difficult just for the culture, the other people within that organisational culture to accept someone. Well, you know, I've got my degree. You know, what are they doing sitting next to me? Why do they have, have a voice? It's quite challenging that you, you're asking organisations, but from a, um, uh, from a creative point of view, oh, my gosh, that's, that's just massive, the impact that it can have. Um, so I agree with you, that would be lovely to go there. So the IBM, what they, they looked at is um, uh, an entry level, it was a college, I mean, it's the US system. So it's a college certification was an entry level. And they stopped having that as an entry level because actually it was a block. It was a barrier to people that didn't have that. And it didn't mean that they were any less, they just for whatever reasons, whether economic or, you know, the environment, they just didn't have that. And so I think that that's a way of actually challenging entry level, allowing people into the organisation that may not come from traditional academic um, backgrounds. Is there another way that you think organisations can start to do this? Because it's asking quite a lot isn't it it's really challenging for them so i think uh, we have to make a beginning and global leaders such as ibm you know must show us the way right you may not do that for every role that you're hiring but you may do that a certain percentage of the roles which are more uh, naturally fit to that kind of a diversity right so that's probably is the first step Right? And then you you learn by doing, right? Once you have that kind of a diversity, it is actually helping you become truly vibrant or it is hindering you from running your own business. You could only learn that by doing it, right? So therefore, specific roles in specific functions can be a starting point, right? But I have seen almost without exception, all the hiring managers want the homogeneity of their uh, new hires. That is such a disservice. So you want everybody who is a lookalike, then where is the diversity here? Yeah. Right. So, but I am not naive to believe that, uh, you know, uh, business can be run by radically shifting your policies. No, you experiment and see how it works in a very, very uh, subset of your hiring and then learn from it to double down it or tone it down, whatever suits in your business ecosystem. That's what I would say. Yeah. And um, when we're talking about sales, we're talking about global sales. You know, I think because we're online, you need to reflect your all your your sales force, your your company's um, uh, talent pool must reflect that global diverse market that you may want to grow into and you won't be able to grow into it unless you actually have that creativity within your organization to start to push and um, move you out of your traditional box so if you're continuing to grow and evolve that's how you do it from bringing in new ideas so I think that um, no one has actually come up with that your point of um, being um, as diverse as that as an organization. But I, I, I love that, that idea. So thank you for contributing that. So let, 
me ask you if who is your hero or shero? Uh, Sir Richard Branson. Why? Why? Um, I mean, he fascinates me as a as a human being. Uh, I have never seen any human being who is as insanely um, uh, you know risk taker as he is. And I've read his uh, book uh, autobiography, Losing My Virginity. I don't know how many times I lost count. Right? I mean, how could one particular individual can make such radically risky business decisions and yet succeed at a massively global scale? And how can the same individual take adventurous life risks and then go on uncharted territories by putting it his life at risk and yet coming out successfully and surviving and keep going back and then taking those risks, including the, you know, the recent uh, spaceship uh, to the space. Yeah. That is, that is astonishingly, uh, you know, awe-inspiring for me. Mm-hmm. So, which is why he is my all-time favorite idol. Uh, yeah, he, he is an in- inspiration, isn't it? Many of us think of these things, but we don't actually do it. We, you know, we won't take, um, go quite so far and risk. So, yeah, thank you. That's um, uh, interesting. And, and long may he live and continue to um, challenge the boundaries and uh, stereotypes, which is is one thing I think he's, he's known for. OK, so how can listeners get hold of you? So very simple. Uh... K-R-I-S at winsides.co. That's the best way to reach me. Uh, drop me a note and happy to respond and then uh, catch up with you. Excellent. Listeners. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure they will we'll put, be putting all the links in, in the show notes. So thank you for being a guest of Scale Yourselves podcast. Gopala Krishna. Thank you, uh, Janice. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm excited. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Scale Your Sales. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter, Janice B. Gordon, to comment and share. I'd love it if you would leave a review on ratethispodcast.com slash scale your sales. Please subscribe for more weekly expert insights to scale your sales.